0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, English for Life in the UK. I'm joined today by Sheena and John. So, Sheena, well, Happy New Year, first of all, because this is the start of 2021. How are you? Uh,
1: Fine, thank you. Happy New Year to you and everyone else. Yes, um, a good start to the year with um, lots of snow today as well. So that's quite wintry and exciting.
0: Great thanks Sheena and also
2: John. How are you John? I'm very well Mark. Hello Mark. Hello Sheena. Happy New Year.
0: Today we're going to talk about a period of British history where we had kings and queens who were part of the Tudor family. This went on for about 120 years and there were a number of monarchs but that's kings and queens but there were two really big, important, famous ones. That is Henry VIII and Elizabeth I. So we're going to say just a little bit about each one of those. And Sheena is going to tell us a little
1: bit about Henry VIII. Thank you. A very big subject. Um, I think everyone in England and every English schoolchild learns about Henry VIII. He was a very, very famous king. He was very famous for two reasons. The first reason was because he had six wives. And another reason was because he started the Church of England. Henry's first wife, and he was married to her for a long time, was Catherine of Aragon. She was Spanish. And the important thing for Henry and Catherine was to have a son, who would reign after Henry. But sadly, Catherine had several problems with having a child. Uh, Several several of the children were were dead when they were born. Um, One child, they were very happy because one child, who they named Henry, was born healthy and then very sadly died seven weeks later. So the only child they had successfully together was Mary. But Henry still wanted a son. Catherine was getting older and was unable to to have the son that Henry wanted. So Henry wanted to end the marriage to Catherine. And to do that, he needed to have the permission of the Pope, the Catholic Pope. At this time, England was a Catholic country. The Pope would not give Henry a divorce from his wife. So Henry, through the act of supremacy in 1533, declared himself to be head of the church in England and this was the beginning of the Protestant church in England. This meant that Henry could marry his second wife, who many people know about, and his second wife was Anne Boleyn. She was French, but even this marriage, it was very short, and she, she didn't manage to produce a son for Henry, but she did manage to produce a daughter. That daughter was Elizabeth, and we will hear about Elizabeth later. Henry married again to Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour gave Henry a son, but sadly, Jane herself died less than two weeks after having her son. This son was called Edward. Again, Edward was very important. After this, Henry married three more times, once to Anne of Cleves, which didn't work at all well and didn't last very long. He next married Catherine Howard again. She was very young, much younger than Henry and Again, that marriage did not last, and she was executed. And finally, his last wife, Catherine Parr, was still alive when Henry died. So she outlived Henry. Uh, They had no children. But she actually managed to get Henry to be reconciled. So to have a good relationship again with his two daughters, Elizabeth. And Mary.
0: Thank you, Sheena, for summarising that very colourful period of English history with Henry VIII and his six wives and the breaking away from the Catholic Church in Rome in what is often called the Reformation. So after. Henry died there were his three children Edward became king but only for six years before dying young at the age of 15 and then Mary she was only Queen for five years before dying but importantly she was a Catholic and in that time she married king philip of spain who we will hear more about finally then elizabeth becomes queen and john is now going to tell us a bit about elizabeth
2: queen elizabeth was the daughter of anne boleyn and henry the uh, and she came to the throne in 1558 and ruled until 1603. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, like her father, was a Protestant. Uh, and she re-established the Church of England uh, after Mary Tudor had tried to reimpose Catholicism um, as the official Church of England. Um, now, she was a Protestant, but she was quite pragmatic in that she was quite happy for initially for Catholics to continue worshipping as long as Protestantism was the official church of England. Uh, She famously said to a bishop at the time that she did not want to put windows into men's souls, which meant that she didn't really concern herself too much with what people believed in their own space, in their own homes, in their own churches. As we've said, she she succeeded in finding a balance between the views of Catholics uh, and the Protestants within her realm. Uh, And and in doing so, she avoided any serious religious conflict within England, which is very important at the time. Um, She became one of the most popular monarchs in English history. Uh, And a very big part of this um, is due to the events that occurred in 1588, um, when the English defeated the Spanish Armada, which was a large fleet of ships sent by King Philip II of Spain, uh, which was with the intention of conquering England, um, putting Philip II of Spain on the English throne and reimposing Catholicism uh, onto England. Uh, th- and this has kind of stood out in English history as an example of England. Uh, at the time, England was quite a small power. Uh, Spain was one of the most powerful countries in the world. They ruled South America, much of North Africa, the Mediterranean, the Philippines, uh, obviously, the name coming from King Philip. So they had a world empire. We were a small, um, not insignificant, but a small and much less powerful nation at the time. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, Queen Elizabeth I, historically now seen as standing up for England or Protestant England and for our place in the world. One of the very other important things during the Elizabethan period, as we refer to it historically, was that our navy grew in power and we moved uh, over to the Caribbean, to the east coast of North America, and started to settle places there that eventually moved on to become the, the, the colonies in North America uh, and the beginnings of a world empire for Britain. Um, another important person that we have to mention is a lady called Mary, Queen of Scots. Now she was, the, as her name would suggest, the Queen of Scotland, uh, she was a cousin of Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, she was from the Stuart line as opposed to the Tudor line, uh, and she was a Catholic. So there's obviously lots of room for um, conflict and contention there, at England against Scotland, Catholics against Protestants, all the rest. Uh, now Mary, Queen of Scots, had a pretty bad time. Uh, her, her husband was murdered. Um, she was blamed for the murder. She called on Elizabeth I to give her support Um eventually she fled to England. She was kind of either under the protection, but also the imprisonment. Uh, she was imprisoned by Queen Elizabeth I, who was worried that being a Catholic, Mary Queen of Scots was a threat to her throne. Now, eventually in 1587, um, some yeah. of Queen Elizabeth's agents discovered that Mary Queen of Scots was actually plotting to murder Queen Elizabeth with a group of Catholics and take her throne herself. Um, so she was executed by Queen Elizabeth. This was in 1587, the year before the Spanish Armada, seen as one of the reasons for the Spanish Armada coming to attack England. Um, eventually, however, um, as we know, uh, Queen Elizabeth never married. She was known as the Virgin Queen, of course. She never took husband, therefore she could never give birth to a male heir. Um, Mary Queen of Scots had married a man called Lord Darnley, and she gave birth to a son who during Mary Queen of Scots imprisonment became James VI, the King of Scotland. And on the death of Queen Elizabeth I in 1603, he acceded to the throne of England as well and became King James I of England. So that led after the long and, and, and quite successful reign of Elizabeth I, um, led to the, what we know as the Union of the Crowns. So King James the Sixth of Scotland became King James I of England and unified the two kingdoms of England and Scotland. Again, something very, very important for the, the development of the United Kingdom going forward.
0: Thank you, John, for
2: summarising a long and complicated
0: part of British history, the Elizabethan period. And one thing we should add is that this was also a time when science and the arts flourished in England. For example, this is the period when William Shakespeare started to write. Probably the most famous playwright in the world, even today. For those of you who are particularly interested in this period of British history, There is a bonus section to this episode in which John talks in more detail about the period between the end of Henry VIII and the period up to James I. It is a longer and more complex section so we've added it at the end of this episode for those of you who are interested and can manage at a more advanced level. In the meantime, here is our usual short language support section. Language support. This is the part of the podcast where I choose a few words and phrases from this episode and explain them. When Sheena was talking, she referred to the reign of Henry VIII. A reign, in this sense, is the period of time that a king or queen is in place. It is, of course, the same sounding word as rain in the weather, but the two are spelt Differently. The reign of a king or queen is spelt R E I G N. The reign of the weather is spelt R A I N. We also used the phrase that the the religion was re established. Now to establish something is to put it in place. So to re-establish something is to put back in place, put in place again. John referred to Elizabeth's attitude towards Catholics as being pragmatic. To be pragmatic is to deal with things in a sensible and realistic way, a practical way of dealing with a problem. John said that in the Elizabethan time Britain's place in the world was not insignificant. Now, if something is insignificant, it's not important. So if something is not insignificant, then it is important. But you would use this to show that something is perhaps not as important as something else. So the power of Spain was much greater than the power of Britain at the time. But our power was not insignificant, so we did have some power and place in the world. Finally, I said that the science, science and the arts had flourished during Elizabethan times. To flourish means to develop rapidly and successfully. It is often used in terms of plants and flowers that flourish, that grow and develop. But in this case we are saying the artistic and scientific life of the country flourished, it grew and developed rapidly. bonus section. We have added here a longer version of John's contribution to this episode. He picks things up from the end of the Henry VIII period and talks in more detail about the other kings and queens, and about Elizabeth and what happened later. For those of you at a more advanced level and interested in this period, we thought you would enjoy this additional section.
2: It's interesting to think about the Reformation in terms of how it occurred in England. In, in, in a lot of Europe, it was very much a popular movement. So in places like, like Bohemia, the modern-day Czech Republic, in Switzerland, in parts of Germany, it, it were a popular movement, of, uh, if, if you like, whereas in England it was more of a top-down, if you like, uh, affair. It was, it, 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 as Sheena pointed out, Henry was uh, a sincere Catholic in his youth. Um, his move away from Rome, the act of supremacy, and these things and installing himself as the head of the Church of England was more of a political uh, thing. It was more for him in order to ensure his succession, his divorces, um, the things that himself and uh, his, uh, his partner in crime, Thomas Cromwell, went on to do the, the um, uh, dissolution of the monasteries. It was more to do with him attaining power from the church. So when they broke down the monasteries, they took the wealth and the land and the power that had been uh, the, the the mainstay of the Catholic Church and took it into the power of the of the of the king. So it it were a, a pragmatic thing really in terms of Henry moving away from Rome oh. for political oh. reasons really yeah. Uh, and obviously this did not um, necessarily play well with some of the aristocracy and with some of the the wider populace who still um felt an allegiance to the Catholic Church, and this is one of the things that we'll go on to look at with the the succession uh, the various monarchs who followed on from Henry the eighth the kind of zigzagged between Protestant leaders, Catholic leaders, and this uh, going forward into things we'll talk about uh, moving up to the civil war we're, we're, a, we're a constant source of tension and, and upset in, in British politics for. For another couple of hundred years, really, yeah.
0: Where do we get to next, and how do we get to Elizabeth becoming?
2: Well, we have a, we Edward have a, a little bit of two-in and throwing between um, Henry VIII, Dying and Queen Elizabeth, the the other main Tudor monarch who we're going to talk about. So, as as Sheena said, pointed out, we have the succession of Edward VI, the Sixth, um, the the son of uh, Henry the who was the son of Henry the Eighth and Jane Seymour. Uh, he was a Protestant. Um, now, things there looked fairly clear for a Protestant succession. Unfortunately, as was often the, um, the case in the time, he died very young. He died at the age of 15 after being, he'd already been king for six years when he was 15. So quite quite, <laughs> quite an achievement, I guess. But unfortunately, he passed um, away at 15 years of age. He was succeeded um, very briefly by... Uh, um, a woman called Lady Jane Grey, who was uh, known as the Nine Day Queen. Uh, she was the the great granddaughter of Henry the Seventh, the first Tudor monarch. Uh, that was her claim to the succession. She was very swiftly um, dispatched by um, Mary Tudor or Mary the First, who was the daughter of Catherine of Aragon, uh, who Sheena mentioned, and Henry the uh, Mary was a Catholic. She was very fiercely uh, Catholic. She was very keen to return England to Catholicism. uh, And in doing so, she was um, very cruel um, and persecuted Protestants um, and and in turn earned the name Bloody Mary. Um, She, again, only ruled from 1553 to 1558, a uh, a short reign, during which time she was married to King Philip II of Spain another Catholic, powerful Catholic, who we will return to later. He will re-emerge in our story uh, in a wee while. Um, She was succeeded by Elizabeth I, who was the daughter of Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII. Now, Elizabeth was a Protestant. Um, She reigned for a very long time. She reigned from 1558 to 1603, um, what we now refer to as the Elizabethan Age, um, as I say, she was a Protestant. But again, she was, I guess, in some ways like a father, quite pragmatic. Uh, she wasn't um fanatical about religion. She was a staunch Protestant. But she famously quoted as saying, I will not look into men's souls. I will not put windows into men's souls, by which she meant as long as people towed the line, as long as England was Protestant and independent from Rome, she wouldn't worry too much if people still, in some ways, kind of, you know, kept their old kind of Catholic ways in terms of, of religion. Um, she basically um, wrote a long period of of uh, peace in England, really, after all the, the previous civil wars, we have the War of the Roses and things like that. Uh, and she's commonly regarded, Historically, has been a been a very successful monarch. Um, she did a great deal of good for the country, as as many people saw it. Um, now, one of the things about Elizabeth, she was known as the Virgin Queen. So all the things that we've looked at before about Henry VIII, his six wives, and his constant attempts to um, obviously provide a male successor to to, to carry on from him, but she never married. She had various suitors as they called it she had you know aristocrats and men in her court who people had encouraged her to marry um, but i think some of the historians look at it, her kind of if you look back at her family life and how her dad had mom tre- um, and <laughs> various stepmoms it might have been might have had some influence on her that she was very very independent woman uh, and she was determined to rule alone now obviously this um, forward problems in terms of the succession. People around her in the court and and in the wider political sphere uh, were very keen, obviously, that they would have another Protestant monarch to follow on from Elizabeth, but she she never married, so that was always going to present a problem at the end of her reign. Um, As I said, she found a balance between Catholics and Protestants within her realm, but one of the problems, one of the things that was ever-present, and that the people in England at the time were worried about whether they were standing in not alone but kind of quite isolated as a Protestant country. Now, at the time, um leading up to this, England and Spain had been, well, England was still Catholic, England and Spain had been allies for quite a very long time. Part of that due to the reason that we had a common enemy in the French. So my enemy's enemy is my friend. Um obviously um. Henry VIII had married uh, Catherine of Aragon originally, who was a Spanish princess. So there was this um, you know, historic link uh, between England and Spain. Now, this kind of ruptured with the emergence of England as a Protestant nation, because Spain obviously was still Catholic. Um, a very important, another thing, very important to remember at the time, um, Spain was the global superpower at the time. And England was a, a, a minor player. So as things went on, we had um, the friction as well between England and Scotland, because we had um, another very famous um, person of the time, Mary Queen of Scots. Mary Queen of Scots been a Catholic, and Queen Elizabeth I been a Protestant. Now a lot of the Catholics in England looked to Mary Queen of Scots to potentially take over from Queen Elizabeth I and to reimpose um, a a Catholic regime. Uh, um, She eventually uh, (laughs) gave birth to uh, an heir. That heir was uh, King James VI of Scotland, who eventually became King James I of England. But in the meantime, um, Mary fled to England Supposedly under the protection of Queen Elizabeth I, who was her cousin. Um, eventually, after nearly two decades of imprisonment, um, she was discovered to be plotting against Queen Elizabeth uh, and in 1587 dispatched, uh, beheaded uh, on the orders of her cousin Queen Elizabeth. Um, now, this was part of kind of tidying what we spoke about before about the Spanish empire. King Philip II of Spain now saw his opportunity to reimpose Catholicism, to take over from Queen Elizabeth II. Um, And in 1588, a year after the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots, he launched something very famous in English history, known as the Spanish Armada. Armada is basically the Spanish word for fleet or navy. So in May 1588, they set forth with, I think, 150 ships from Lisbon um, with the express intent of effectively invading England, deposing Queen Elizabeth I and imposing Philip II as the King of England. So a lot of our our growing navy and our ships were involved in effectively stealing the wealth from the Spanish colonies in the Caribbean, Um, and in uh, what is now South America. Um, So these things were going on as well. So there were the religious elements, but were also the elements of state power fighting against each other. At that time, although we were a small power, we had an advanced navy. We had better cannons, better weaponry than the Spanish ships. Uh, So under Francis Drake, there were famous battles along the south coast of England. Uh, We were able to defeat the Armada, as we've seen later on in history, whether it's with Napoleon or with Hitler in 1940, we were basically saved by the fact that we were an island and that we had a strong navy. One of the other things it did, and this, it really <laughs> imbued the English with um, a kind of sense of destiny, if you like, and an idea that they could become this great naval power. Uh, and this is one of the things you know we talked about Boudicca before. We we look at people like Churchill. She stands in in English history as as somebody who stood up for our rights as an independent country against you know these great powers in Europe. So a, a very very interesting and, and important period in our in our history.
0: It was also a time when the the cultural life of the country really blossomed. So for example, Shakespeare started uh, writing in the time of Elizabeth the probably one of the most famous playwrights in the world and still perform today. Um, poetry, art, they, they flourished under Queen Elizabeth and also, as a result, as you were saying, John, of of the success against the Spanish and the and the the, uh, the growth of the of the British Navy, we went out and started to explore elsewhere in the world as well. And so, you know, in some senses, that is the beginning of what eventually becomes the British Empire uh, from
2: that kind of period.
0: So, how how does that uh, how does the Tudor well, period uh, finish, I think you,
2: it's very important that you you point those things out, Mark, that, uh, and. the the part of the the sort of flowering of of, of ideas and science and and literature is often put down to the Reformation in that, you know, when people are Protestant, there is um, an onus and and an idea put on individual um, understandings of the Gospels and religion. And and so in in that sense, people need to be literate, uh, people question things more. So that, is you know that kind of leads to an increase in scientific exploration and and literature and a lot of these things, as you, as you rightly said, did it, it flourish uh, during the Elizabethan period. Uh, and this will lead us on to things that we're going to look at uh, in the next podcasts. Um, to, to kind of the end to the Tudor period came with the death of Queen Elizabeth, who was succeeded by the son of Mary Queen of Scots. So. In a way, um, she kind of got the got the last laugh, if you like, <laughs> in that her son succeeded Queen Elizabeth. So this was um, King James the Sixth of Scotland, who also became, in succeeding Queen Elizabeth, King James the First of England uh, in 1603. So this is something that is referred to as the Union of the Crowns. Okay, so we didn't see the political full act of political union until 1707 but we did see a union of the crowns so from 1603 onwards effectively England Scotland and Wales and and Ireland under the rule were were effectively the same country Uh, and you know the advances that we've seen that what you were talking about with the colonization in America the growth of our navy um, this is the beginning of Great Britain as a world power
0: That's it for this week. You can find the transcript, that's the written version of this episode, on our website www.staugustincentrehalifax.org.uk and that's where you can also find links to all the other episodes and the transcripts so you can listen and read along at the same time. That's also where you can find out how to donate to help our work. We are a charity supporting particularly refugees, asylum seekers and migrants, but also all those in need in our local area. And uh, we would welcome your support if you felt able to give it. If you follow on the website the links to Get Involved and donate. We also have an email address that's English for Life in the UK at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you, your thoughts on our podcast and ideas for the future. We also have a Twitter account at Esol Saint, and there is additional material on that site. I will spell out all those addresses so the website WWW dot .org.uk So that's the website. The email is English for life in the UK at gmail.com and that's English for spelt for And finally the Twitter account is at capital e s o l capital S A I N T